The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. I think the first and most important issue is, are we going to uh, preserve and hopefully strengthen our democracy? And that, that, that's sort of a baseline uh, question. And uh, I believe that given how at least Republican officials have behaved, they increasingly... Um, are willing to subvert basic democratic procedures, right? Like, let's count votes. Uh, let's make sure that people are allowed to vote. 2020 was perfect. And already, Obama's out there. He's establishing the narrative. And this does represent quite a shift in messaging, by the way. And you'll see from the clips that we'll play you later in the show, they're getting the marching orders from him. And so Hillary's out there, all the talking heads, they're talking about just rampant cheating that's going to go on in two weeks. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience to get to the live video stream of this show. You've got to go to our website, thetrumpet.com. As you can see there at the lower third, thetrumpet.com forward slash lives live takes you direct to the page where the live stream happens. And we also post all of these programs uh, after the fact, if you like to watch on uh, demand. Lots and lots to get to on today's show. The news stack was a little bit too large so we'll condense what we can down into the next 50, 55 minutes or so. But think about this. After, after they all said in unison that everything about 2020, even with all the camera footage of the mules and all the computer glitches, all the witnesses, remember the stacks of affidavits? Hundreds and hundreds of witnesses that saw cheating, that saw poll workers being kicked out. After all of that, they said in unison, it was the most secure election in history. Nobody meddled. Nobody cheated. Nothing. And now here comes the Antiochus. Here comes the Antiochus saying, you know what? This time around, there's going to be cheating. And, and, and imagine what happens in two weeks if they're beaten soundly. Of You know what they're going to say. This is from Politico. Biden administration set to warn about threats to nation's election infrastructure. And there are threats now. It's coming from, guess where? Russia, Russia, Russia. And maybe China a little bit this time too. Politico says here, top Biden national security officials are tracking multiple threats to the nation's election security infrastructure ahead of the midterm. Just the midterms. Now, keep in mind, with the early voting, it's, it's setting records. More people are voting than ever before. And yet Barack Obama's out there saying, those dirty Republicans, they're not letting people vote. They won't count the votes. 
This is a this is a narrative shift, a massive one at that, a 180 degree turn. Just two seconds ago, everything's perfect. But now, well, Politico says, warnings, including in an internal intelligence bulletin this week, according to two people familiar with them, there's internal bulletins going around that there's going to be massive cheating this time around. It says the bulletin will lay out details of cyber threats posed by China and Russia, as well as other non-state actors and potential physical threats to election officials in jurisdictions across the country. It says the warnings come as the midterm elections near and amid increasing reports of intimidation at ballot drop boxes. Intimidation coming from, of course, Republicans. The MAGA Republicans. Intimidation. It's amazing, isn't it? 2012, perfect. not just 2020. 2012, that was perfect. 2016, Russian meddling. Uh, 2020, perfect. 2022, not perfect. Lots of cheating. Because they know what's coming. They can see the red wave. They can see the polls that you're seeing. I went through some of that with you yesterday. There, there, some of this is almost hilarious. These talking heads that are sitting down with these focus groups and uh, basically, they're, they're, the focus groups are having to correct the reporters. Because the, the reporters are so, as I said yesterday, there's so much vanity. There's so much arrogance. They're being snared in their own so-called wisdom. This is a CBS focus group. Listen to this, clip five. Biggest concerns about raising children in America right now. John? The whole woke culture affecting our children. All these elementary schools and middle schools having woke culture pushed on them from the LGBT plus community for sexual identity and, and, and gender. We should be pushing the actual school studies, math, social studies, science, not, you know, gender studies or sexual identifications. LaShawn, I'd like to get you to weigh in on this. I can also agree with some of his points. Um, I really will say sex education. I feel like um, some things, you know, are brought to the children's attention. They wouldn't even think about. And you have eight kids. I imagine you have some pretty specific ideas in your mind when you're speaking yes, about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the children are, yeah, they're really influenced. You can teach them one thing at home, but when they go to school, they're just as much influenced by their teachers and their surroundings. And we should have more input, the parents, of what we would want them to learn. Stephanie, what, what's your biggest concern? And if you want to react to any of that, go ahead. Um, I, I agree. Often when we do these focus groups, we have people from different party affiliations disagreeing with each other. But I'm hearing all of you echo a lot of the same concerns and agreeing with each other. None of you are very optimistic about the country right now. That's no. right. Here, here's here's Margaret Brennan, I think is her name. That's the uh, that's the journalist. And she's surprised by the fact that of these differing parties and, and backgrounds, they're, they all agree a parents need more say, and we, we need to teach them the basics in education. This is from uh, the Associated Press. The COVID-19, I, I mentioned or alluded to this yesterday, the COVID-19 pandemic caused historic learning setbacks for America's children, 
uh, sparing no state or region as it erased decades of academic progress and widened racial disparities, according to results of a national test. And then it goes and gives some of the figures. Across the country, math scores saw their largest decreases ever. Reading scores dropped to 1992 levels. And so parents are upset because of COVID, because of kids not going to school, because of all these woke policies. And here's a CBS journalist saying, you know, usually you see, you know, more disparities. You see more differences. You see more arguing back and forth when we get the focus groups together. But here they are of the same opinion, the same view. I agree. I agree. We need to get this garbage out of the schools and teach them math and reading. This is another example. This is uh, MSNBC. And here the journalist uh, waxes eloquent about the, uh, the well-established January 6th narrative. At least it's well-established in her brain. But listen to these. I, I think these are just voters in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is clip six. Mastriano was at the insurrection, and he was photographed breaching one of the restricted areas. Is that okay? Which area? Because I saw a video where Capitol officers yes. were taking away barriers and unlocking doors, doors. people. So, yeah. I mean, I... They opened the gates So and it let shouldn't them in. be disqualifying for an elected official no, no. if they no, participated in January 6th? He didn't, he didn't strike anybody? He didn't hurt anybody? Yeah, and the only one that died was a protester there, not a Capitol police An unarmed officer. female veteran. Was That's the only one that died. That's well, the only one who died. A police officer did die. No. It was a stroke. That's not, that's that's not, not on site. Caused by that. That's because right. he shouldn't have been a police officer. It was one woman. So, what do you make, though, overall of January 6th? I mean, it was watching that footage, it was pretty disturbing. I mean, there were people throwing excrement at the walls, and it was, our, you know, it's the Capitol. That it looked a true. lot like Antifa's actions. Yeah, it looked it's a lot, except on a much smaller scale, it looked the same as the. Black Lives Matter rights. That's it's what I saw, the similarities to me. Minneapolis burns, Kenosha burns. But so it's okay just because, just because I, one side that you no, disagree with I'm is saying okay Antifa for, infiltrated. It's good for one, it's good for the other. Anybody I don't who harmed anybody, way. anybody who caused property destruction, that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, but if you're there your making side. your voice heard at the right. people's house, no less, yeah. that, I, that's, again, it's a fundamental constitutional right of an American citizen and people should not be being held political prisoner uh, because of it. For misdemeanors. That's I mean, East Germany. That's East Germany. Tactics. Yeah, that's what's scary. That's a focus group setting the reporter straight on the, the basic facts of January 6th, bringing out all kinds of points that you've heard before on this program. She's sitting there, the reporter, thinking, well, surely these people, they're all watching MSNBC to get their news, aren't they? Now, a police officer did not. No, actually, he did not die. Not as a result of the riot. Not as a result of the protest. He died the next day of a stroke. And, and, and what about the comparison of January 6th to Kenosha or Minneapolis or Waukesha? He, one of them correctly pointed out this protest was, was not anywhere near as bad as what was happening all over the country in the summer of 2020, the summer of love, when they were burning down cities, when they were beating shop owners into a bloody pulp in the middle of the street, knocking them unconscious, looting stores, burning down police precincts. 
And there's your, there's your happy journalist to say, doesn't the fact that Doug Mastriano, he's running for governor in Pennsylvania, doesn't the fact that he was at that January 6th protest, doesn't that disqualify him? And there's people, a whole line of them, what, 10 or 12, with some common sense saying, of course not. That's the fundamental right that every American has to, to freely protest. Mastriano was there. The journalist says that automatically disqualifies him then. But she, she is like so many of the communists in the media. They, they can't understand how that these MAGA Republicans are actually winning elections or, or they're ahead in the polls. They know what's coming. They know what's coming, so they're changing the narrative. Changed on a dime, this is from Sundance. With the majority of American voters now positioned to rebuke the political efforts of Joe Biden and federal Democrats, the narrative from the DOJ and FBI does a 180-degree reverse course. The transparency of a corrupt and manipulative political justice system is beyond obvious. He sees what's going on here. And keep in mind, this is coming from the deep state. And Obama's out there leading the way. What's he most concerned about coming into this midterm election? He's concerned that there's going to be massive amounts of cheating from the other side. Sundance says the old message to support the 2020 Democrat vote initiatives, ballot harvesting, mail-in voting, precinct precinct, uh, manipulation, the 2020 election was the most secure election in American history. It says the new message to support the Democrat 2022 vote initiatives, the 2022 election is not secure, subject to manipulation by disinformation and misinformation, and likely to encounter interference by domestic and foreign adversaries. Domestic and foreign, Russia, China, and of course, MAGA Republicans. That's the messaging. Barack Obama leading the way. Sundance says the transparency of the FBI DOJ agenda is obvious. 15 days before the 2018 midterm election, the FBI promoted a MAGA mail bomber, uh, Caesar Sayoc, claiming the suspect mailed energetic material that could become combustible when subjected to heat or friction. 15 days before the 2020 presidential election, the FBI promoted the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case. See, the the FBI and the DOJ, they're the ones meddling in elections. They covered up the Hunter Biden lap, in addition to the Gretchen Gretchen, uh, kidnapping case. They cover up Hunter Biden. They cover up the Biden crime family. Even as they continue with their investigations and, and persecutions on Donald Trump and all things Trump. It says here, today, not coincidentally, a repeat of 15 days before the 2020 midterm election. Once again, the FBI DOJ is promoting an election interference narrative. So Obama's out front, as he should be. He's the president. He's the president. He's the one operating the presidency from the basement. He's the one who joked about that back at the end of... uh, what was it, 2020? Listen to this now from Hillary Clinton, clip one. Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that (laughs) is keeping me up at night. And I know this group really understands what I'm about to say. I know we're all focused on the 2022 midterm elections, and they are incredibly 
important. But we also have to look ahead because you know what? Our opponents certainly are. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. Wow. She's, all of a sudden, she's an election denier. She's anticipating the election steal of 2024. Obama's on the 2022. She's on 2024. They're right on top of this. this it's a 180-degree turn. Listen to Nicole Wallace. She's at MSNBC. Listen to what she suggests to prevent, to prevent this steal from happening. Clip two. But if you read through the papers this weekend, the threats to our elections in, what, two and a half weeks are so pervasive and they're so dire and they include violence. I mean, do you think it's time to ask for friends and allies to come over and help us monitor our elections? We used to do that in other burgeoning and threatened democracies. We, at some point, the United States is going to need to collectively decide that not only are we going to oppose Russians and Chinese and North Koreans and Iranians messing around with our elections, we're not going to allow the Republican Party to do it either. Remember the refrain following 2020, the, the suggestion that there was cheating? They said there's no evidence of cheating. And, and here they are saying that the in the future there's going to be cheating. And they're giving you no evidence. They're saying Republicans are going to cheat. Obama saying it, Hillary saying it. Hillary says they got the plan. They're going to steal the presidency. And here she is. She's saying this talking head. It's so pervasive and it's going to be accompanied by by violence that we've got to get we've got to get some international help. I mean, we've got to get help from other nations to come in and monitor the election of the United States of America. You can't make this up. Changing it 180 degrees in a matter of seconds, really, literally. They got the message. The deep, the deep state says, hey, this is now the narrative that we've got to establish in these last 15 days. And so Obama, he's the head honcho. He's out front. He's on TV. He's on that podcast. I just played the clip for you. And everybody, they've gotten the memo. And they're all like, they're all like droids. They've gotten the memo. They're, they're saying the same things. This is Matthew Dowd over at MBC, MSNBC, clip three. To me at this point in time, that focus group and everything in this election shows that we are on a knife's edge of our democracy. Because if we don't have any common set of facts in this country, especially among the people that are a majority of the Republican Party, and have no ability to get to the common good, as you heard in that discussion, no desire even to get to the common good, our democracy is in serious, serious jeopardy. Serious. It's very serious. It's on knife's edge, after all. Matthew Dowd, he also said recently, I'm not going to say that the GOP are Nazis, but it certainly sounds very familiar to what happened in Germany, which is a bunch of citizens. Adolf Hitler gets a third of the vote. They went along because he said he would solve the economy and fix inflation. So here come the Nazis says Matthew Dowd. They're, they're saying this with a straight face because it's, it's very serious. Serious, serious, he said. Twice. Knife's edge serious. 
listen to this from The View, Ted Cruz, the senator, he was on with The View yesterday, and they insisted that we never, we never denied an election. And so he pulls out the receipts, not unlike Kerry Lake. He actually brought the papers with him. No, here's what Hillary said. Here's what uh, so-and-so said. Here's what Biden said. And then notice how these women shut it down at the very end. This is clip four. You said Hillary Clinton didn't say whatever she didn't say. I'm saying to you, listen. And she said, we're sitting here and you we were fine come, with her saying it was illegitimate yes, for, for Republicans her it was. to win. She called so Donald Trump the next opinion. morning and yeah. she conceded the election, Ted. Okay. Who might Look. Call? Hillary Clinton says Trump is an illegitimate president. Hillary Clinton says the election is stolen from you. Hillary Clinton in 2002, George W. Bush was selected, not elected. Joe Biden, Al Gore was was elected president. So Joe Biden. Yeah. You just said we don't scream at each other, right? Or, do, or, or is it just you that gets okay. to scream? Okay, no, no, I agree. Okay, I, then lower your voice because okay. we are very close okay. to it. Mm, yeah, lower your voice. Don't scream. He's, he's reporting facts right back at them. And they, they happily reported it when they said it in 2002, George W. Bush, he's not legitimate. And they happily reported it in 2016 when they said Donald Trump, he's illegitimate. And now they're, they're, they're so enthusiastic in their reporting of the fact that there's cheating. There's cheating in 15 days. There's cheating in two years. All that they can do in response is say, hey, lower your voice. Politico writes this, top Biden national security officials are tracking multiple threats to the nation's election security infrastructure. Top Biden national, this is coming from Joe Obama. This is coming from Barack Obama through all of his people at the White House and his national security apparatus, what he firmly established during his first eight years. All these corrupt actors, these treasonous agents. It's coming from the inside. Sundance labels it the right way. This is from the DOJ. This is from the FBI. These people, these corrupt agents are orchestrating this. Yet another internal investigation where they're, they're releasing bulletins. And all the bullet points, as you see, as you hear, as you can see for yourself, they're all the same. The bulletin will lay out details of cyber threats posed, well, you heard it earlier, I read from it. This is also from uh, Politico Biden saying that he's, uh, he, his prediction is that the Democrats are going to turn this around, the, that the polls are, uh, are going to change as we draw closer to the midterm. So we'll see. We'll, he, we'll see, I guess, what happens here in the next couple of we weeks, but be assured there's a lot of power and money at play here. And remember what my father has said in uh, that 2018 article, we're getting a good look at what they're willing to do to maintain their, their hold on power. It's interesting. Isn't it interesting that who, who are the two? Obama's now out of the basement. You know, he's on with the Manning brothers last night for Monday Night Football. And uh, I don't think the Manning brothers could barely get a word in edgewise. You get him on sports. And I mean, he can wax eloquent. So there's Obama yucking it up on TV, national TV. He's on this podcast with these four liberals that just were, were swooning before him. He's, he's back out making public appearances because he's got a campaign. 
They don't want Joe. Joe Biden doesn't have any trips late for the rest of this week. I think he campaigned for one individual earlier this week. And then that's it. I mean, they're shutting him down. They don't want Biden out on the campaign trail. That's like a death knell. So here comes Obama. So who are, from both sides, who are the most prominent, the most visible, the most influential campaigners going into this election? It tells you all that you need to know about what we've been saying regarding Bible prophecy. You've got the Antiochus and you've got Jeroboam. When Donald Trump, and when he shows up, tens of thousands of people turn out. And a lot of them are showing up in these focus groups. Uh, no, that doesn't rule out Mastriano. Just because he, he was at a protest? Have you seen what's happened to our cities? People are fed up, as Sundance puts it. They know the red wave is coming, so now the narrative shift. And, of course, Obama is out front. The New York Times, this was happening as we were heading off to the Feast of Tabernacles. But So this story is from a, a two, uh, a two, three weeks ago. But the New York Times wrote about this 250-page manuscript that Obama wrote. He wrote it with a co-author. I forget the name of that guy. But basically, it was a manuscript that never saw the light of day. They were supposed to print it as a book, or that was the hope. And, and this is before Obama's first term as president. Get a load of the title of this manuscript. It's called Transformative Politics. As you know, he came in vowing to fundamentally transform the United States of America. And from the bits and pieces that we're now getting from transformative politics, pretty much it was the plan was laid out there in print. And yet no one's ever heard of this manuscript, or I guess it was referred to in a 2018 or 2017 biography. I forget the author. He wrote this long 1,500-page book about Barack Obama, somehow got a copy of that manuscript, referred to it. Again, transformative politics. And then the author of this book, according to the New York Times article, he has a copy of this manuscript. He wrote five pages about it in his biography of Barack Obama. And then the New York Times called him recently to get a copy of that manuscript. And basically, the Times' position is that, look, we need the playbook. I mean, we're, we, we might lose. We're behind in the polls. I mean, they, they love this transcript. They love the fact that it's about transformative politics. We need some more of that right about now. That's what the New York Times believes. But it's, it's pretty amazing to me that the, the PDF of this is not out there available, at least not yet. So the Times is selectively quoting from it, but it, sh it just shows how there's no real investigative journalism. The, the author of the 2017 book said that this New York Times journalist was the first one to even inquire about the manuscript. So they got a copy. We still don't have the full, the full-length copy. We'd like to get a hold of that. But there are some excerpts in this New York Times piece from a couple weeks ago. It says here, Mr. Obama left Harvard with a blueprint for remaking American democracy. A blueprint for remaking American democracy. You would think there'd be a few journalists that would at least be curious enough to dig into this a little bit. But remember how they treated Obama and all of those associations he had with communists 
back when he was campaigning in 2008, they covered it up. They covered it up. Jeremiah Wright, you know, his communist uncle, the one that he admired so much, Frank Marshall Davis, I think his name was. It says here, written with Robert Fisher, a friend and former economic professor, the 250-page manuscript had the working title of Transformative Politics. Further on, it says, that's a shame because reading Transformative Politics today is a bracing experience. Speaking with a, a candor, he would soon be unable to afford. Uh, Mr. Obama directed his fire across the entire political spectrum. It says, with the right strategy, he argued, Democrats could engineer a political realignment that would begin a new chapter in the country's history. It's like, you know, Joe Jr. wrote Transformed by Truth back in 1997. He was, he, that was written after the fact. But here's one where Obama had it out front. I mean, this was before he even became president. The blueprint. The blueprint. That's what the New York Times calls it. It says here, every path to change was well-trodden, he wrote, in Dreams, of, Dreams from My Father. That's another uh, autobiography. Every strategy exhausted, except one. It says, the modern version had its origins in the left wing of the civil rights movement, where it was most forcefully defended by Bayard Rustin, a leading strategist in the struggle for racial equality. He was an openly gay, black former communist who had done time in prison as a conscientious objector during World War II. It says, about as marginalized a figure as you could imagine in mid-century America. This was the guy that, uh, that Barack Obama admired. It says about the civil rights movement, a leading, strat a leading strategist in the struggle for racial equality. It says here, he was an openly gay, openly gay black former communist. Uh, notice what this is from... Uh, he was right. There's the chapter in here about the communist infiltration and how that it was prophesied, and we've gone through this with you so many times before, how that Herbert Armstrong was way out front. He says in this communist infil infiltration chapter, we quote Mr. Armstrong, yet even there, deliberately planned propaganda, inflammatory influences had stirred up emotions ready to burst into the mob violence when set off by a certain spark. This is Mr. Armstrong basically saying how the civil rights movement from the 1960s was hijacked by the communists. And, and here now you've got some evidence of this in uh, this 250-page blueprint, this manuscript. It never did become a book. It was referred to in 2017. The New York Times has quoted from it in, in recent weeks. And still, I mean, you probably hear nothing about this. The blueprint. Mr. Armstrong says, I know, too, that it has become somewhat normal to cry communist as a dirty epithet, uh, a nonspecific accusation against any person or group uh, one doesn't like. But when I say communist, in this case, I mean specifically just that. Just that. Before this, he says, but in most cases, I can tell you definitely that these riots of the 60s he's writing about and student uprisings have been deliberately planned, intentionally provoked, and well organized. Further down, it says, and where does the civil rights movement stand today? And do Americans, both white and black, realize that back of it all, keeping themselves secretly in the background, is the cunning plotting of communists? They are influencing far more of all this than people realize. 
That's pretty amazing. What a forecast. That's Herbert Armstrong writing back in 1968. It's in The Plain Truth, his magazine, talking about the civil rights movement and how that it was hijacked. It says here, again, again just to repeat myself, the modern version had its origins in the left wing of the civil rights movement where it was most forcefully defended by Bayard Rustin. Bayard Rustin, if you Google that name or look, I've got a quote here from the Britannica online regarding him. He, he was one of the chief communist infiltrators of the civil rights movement. It says here, in the mid-1950s, this is Britannica, Rustin became a close advisor to the civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., and he was the principal organizer of King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Rustin later was the chief architect of the March on Washington, a massive demonstration to rally support for civil rights legislation and was pending in uh, Congress. Now let me just take you back to this New York Times piece. It says here, in the aftermath of Lyndon Johnson's landslide 1964 re-election, Rustin decided the country was ready for a radical push. According to him, abolishing formal segregation was just the first page, a stage, sorry, of the battle for civil rights. Securing true equality now demanded a campaign to overhaul the American economy and lift up workers of all races. It says change at this scale required overwhelming public backing. And Mr. Rustin saw the elements of a new majority in President Johnson's victory. Further on, it says, the fruits of that education were on display in transformative politics. This is what, this is what Barack Obama was educated in. It says, written during Mr. Obama's first final semester, uh, that would be at, at Harvard, I guess, the manuscript updated Bayard Rustin, Bayard Rustin for the age of Ronald Reagan, now is the time to bring it out. Now is the time to go public. Well, the book never did see the light of day. And, and journalists, I guess, all over the country weren't curious enough to, to go find it, to dig into it, even after it was mentioned in the book in 2017. It says here, the fruits of that education were on display in transformative politics. Mr. Obama and Mr. Fisher's plan hinged on rec recruiting blue-collar whites uh, back into those back blue-collar whites into a reborn version of the March on Washington coalition. According to Mr. Obama and Mr. Fisher, these votes could be won over with a platform that appealed to both the values and the material interests of working people. That meant shifting away from race-based initiatives toward universal economic policies whose benefits would, in practice, tilt toward African Americans. In short, use class as a proxy for race. It says, finally, today we're living in a world the Obama coalition has made. To today, says the New York Times, we're living in Obama's world. They're all on board with the fundamental transformation. They want some more of it. Here's the New York Times writing about this book, this manuscript, this blueprint, as it calls it, and it's titled Transformative Politics. One last quote from the New York Times, quoting from the manuscript. It says, precisely because America is a racist society, we cannot realistically expect white America to make special concessions toward blacks over the long haul, Obama wrote. Those blacks who most fervently insist 
on the pervasiveness of white racism have adopted a strategy that depends on white guilt for its effectiveness. I mean, they've carried it out to a T. They followed the, the blueprint perfectly. It's all part of the fundamental transformation. Barack Obama, writing in his manuscript, writing in his blueprint for the fundamental transformation of the United States, he says, precisely because America is a racist society. And I suppose journalists from all over the country, had they read that in 2008 or maybe again in 2012, they probably just would have yawned, maybe thrown the manuscript under the pile. No big deal for the 44th president of the United States. Growing up under the direction of communists, openly, openly admitted by some of them. He talked about hanging out with Marxist professors in Dreams from My Father. It's unbelievable. What, it, it shows you that the covering up, that the establishing of false narratives, that all of this, I mean, it certainly predates uh, Donald Trump. It, it predates 2016. What we're talking about here is an attack on the United States of America. It's laid out there in the blueprint that no one seems to care about, except for the New York Times, and the hope that maybe we can get just a little bit more momentum out of this fundamental transformation of the United States of America. Keep in mind our most popular book over the past couple of months, America Under Attack. It is being attacked. Notice this headline that we saw uh, in the news stack as well. It's from the Washington Examiner. It's by Stephen Moore. And the headline is, Biden's destroying the economy. Is it intentional? Is he intentionally destroying the economy? Because these people are, they have to be somewhat smart, somewhat educated. They, they have to see, okay, we, did, we just did this. Now prices over here are skyrocketing. Is this intention? It's almost like we said yesterday how, you know, with the article I quoted at the top, it's almost as if they're reading America Under Attack. I mean, they, they come all the way up to the book, but they, they can't quite bring themselves to actually say, yes, it actually is. They, they obviously don't see the spirit world behind what's happening. It says here, this is the Stephen Moore piece, everywhere I go, People are mystified about President Joe Biden's economic agenda. So few of the policies uh, comport with basic common sense that I'm asked the same question over and over. Is Biden intentionally trying to take a wrecking ball to the economy? Is he trying to destroy the economy? Is he trying to burn everything down so that they can gain more power? Well, Mr. Armstrong said as much back in the 1950s. This is their aim. This is part of the, 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 the blueprint, the strategy. I wonder, if, I wonder if the New York Times doesn't want to release the full version of this 250-page manuscript because maybe it is so condemning or, or maybe it's just you know, nonsensical drivel. Who, who knows what it is? But it calls it a blueprint. Hopefully we'll, we'll receive more from that manuscript. Is Biden intentionally doing this? Is this all part of some diabolical plan, the Great Reset, to end our system of free market capitalism and replace it with some form of big government socialism? 
Well, I'll answer it for him. Yeah, it is. It is. He can't quite bring himself to say that, though. He says, my belief is that, no, I don't think this is an intentional, nefarious, Dr. Evil-type plot, but if there were a scheme to burn down the village in order to rebuild it, Biden and his administration are doing a great job of it. I guess, I guess they just think uh, Democrats and their politics, they're just dumb. They're just dumb. They think that this will improve everything. There, there is something more evil and sinister here at play. And, and more people are beginning to wake up, at least in the title. Biden's destroying the economy. Is it att- intentional? You're seeing more and more articles like that. I'm seeing more and more of them in the news stack every single day. It's pretty amazing. If you haven't uh, ordered America Under Attack or He Was Right or subscribed to the Trumpet magazine, make sure that you call our operators today. The 800 number is 1-866-930-3024. Operators are standing by. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Without going too much into it, yeah, we're just going to get tax more. This guy's going to give tax allowance to his buddies. Um, we're just getting bummed. We're, how much tax we're paying already? I mean, it's wet, it fuel everything. I can't afford to live. I don't exactly earn a lot of wage. You earn a thousand pounds a week. And I still can't afford sometimes to provide for my family because of energy bills, etc. It's a joke. Tories, they need help, mate, but I, I don't vote just for the simple fact of there's nobody I want in power. I don't like none of them. <laughs> Did you get all that? I brought back some good memories uh, for, for me and Sam this, uh, this morning as we were trying to fine-tune our ear to a strong British accent. I'm not sure if he comes from Birmingham or London. In any event, just to paraphrase or, or, or perhaps 
to uh, translate it for some of our, our listeners. He doesn't like the new prime minister in, uh, in Britain. Rishi, uh, Rishi Sunak is now the new British prime minister. And there's uh, one British citizen who says it's not going to get any better. Nigel Farage, more seriously, has, uh, has had commentary out there saying, you know, it's just another globalist that's going to take us in the wrong direction. Another big spender. Money will solve our, our problems. Just, just, just borrow more money. Just print more money. We've been talking in recent programs about the crisis in leadership. You certainly see Isaiah 3 being fulfilled. The Bible study we concluded with yesterday, we just had made our way into Romans 8, the uh, Holy Spirit chapter. And this quote, I'll just repeat this, from 1983 in the Good News magazine. It says, We do not receive enough of this divine power all at once to last forever. It says, This power comes into you from God daily. It circulates from God into you and then out from you in love, in faith, in joy, in patience, even in performing miracles. The author says here, You might be imbued with the Holy Spirit yesterday and depleted of it today. And so we have to keep going back to God the Father in prayer and through Bible study, asking for the Spirit of God, asking for God to give us more of his Spirit. I mentioned that verse in Luke uh, 11 yesterday on the show. Let me just read that for you quickly. Luke 11 and in verse uh, 13, I think it is. Luke 11, verse 13, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We have to ask. We have to be led by it. We have to stir it up. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Stir up the gift of God that is in you. We really do have a part in all of this. I read the verse yesterday, Acts 5 and verse 32, how that God gives his spirit to those who obey him. We have to be obedient children. And God will give us his spirit. God will give us more of his spirit. We need more of it because it circulates. It doesn't just come into us and and we're like a reservoir and we can hold on to it for the rest of our lives and never run out. It circulates. It flows. And so we've got to continually go back to the source for more of that power. We have to continually plug into that electrical current. This is Romans 8 now, verse 1. I read this right at the tail end of yesterday. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we're not condemned for our past. If we walk after the Spirit... If we've repented of sin, there's no need to continue worrying about it. Of course, there's the ongoing battle and struggle against sin, those pulls of the flesh. But God says, repent, put it away, and go forward, and really worry or concern yourself about the future, about how that you're going to act and behave from this point forward. Walk in the Spirit. Verse 2 says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, the working power of God's Holy Spirit 
in our lives. That's what Paul's referring to here. It's what helps us to combat that downward pull of human nature. It's what helps us to resist against those carnal impulses. The heart is deceitful above all things and just desperately wicked. So says the prophet Jeremiah. God inspired that. Verse 3, here in Romans 8, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Christ came and observed God's law perfectly. He became that perfect sacrifice. He pro- his life, his ministry proves that you can, by the Spirit of God, eschew evil and walk in the Spirit. That's what Jesus did. That's why he was continually going to his Father and crying out to God for help, for power, for strength, for energy. Verse 4, it says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here again, we're walking after the Spirit or we're walking in the Spirit. Verse 5, it says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. See, what is it that we, that we meditate on most? What is it that we fill our minds with most? For, for most people, for a lot of people, it's just trivial, material things. Entertainment, popular culture, movies, music, that, that sort of thing. We just fill up on those things. Fill up on filth. God says fill up on righteousness. Fill up on the things of God. Read Philippians 4 and verse 8. A beautiful passage. God saying, think on these things. These things that are lovely and honest and pure and so on. Think on these things and do these things. Live a more excellent way. To quote what Paul said in Corinthians, verse 7, in the Revised Standard, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. A a fleshly mind or one that's set on fleshly things, there's a built-in hostility there toward God and his law. We all have it. Mr. Armstrong wrote in Mystery of the Ages, this does not necessarily mean that all unconverted minds are actively, intentionally, maliciously hostile. Most humans are passively hostile against God. They simply don't normally think about God. They don't think about God. They don't think about godly things. There's a passive hostility. And, of course, with more and more people, it's, it's not so passive anymore, is it? It's quite active, this active, defiant hostility toward God and his law. If you don't have a copy of Mystery of the Ages, I've got one here on the table. Mystery of the Ages by Herbert Armstrong, written in the last year of his life. No retirement for that man. He continued right on working up until the very end when he was 93 years of age. We offer Mystery of the Ages without cost or obligation. Just to call our operators one 930 Call our operators and tell us where to send it. And we'll send you a free copy. Verse 9, here in Romans 8, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. It says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This is what defines a Christian in the Bible. A Christian is one who is led by the Spirit of God. He's a follower of Christ. Christ. 
He's following in the steps of Jesus Christ with God's help and power. Verse 10, it says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. God's spirit is what gives us life. Without it, we're just dead. We're on a countdown clock to expiring, to finishing this temporary physiochemical existence. What happens then after that? This morning in Principles of Living, I just went through all these, these bizarre ideas and concepts that man has developed over the centuries regarding the afterlife. Most believe in an immortal soul doctrine where the real man goes up to heaven as soon as the shell, that outer exterior, dies. They don't understand anything about God's purpose and plan. They don't understand why the universe is out there waiting and groaning for the first fruits in their birth. All of this can be made known to an open mind, a mind being led by God, by the Spirit of God, a mind that will, that will just plow through the content and mystery of the ages. Lots to go through there. I think of the incredible human potential as well. Mr. Armstrong wrote that one back in the 1970s. Two great books about our incredible purpose for being, the incredible human potential, the mystery of man, the mystery of God, all of it discussed in Mystery of the Ages and IHP as well. Verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus <coughs> from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. The old correspondence course, it says, After repenting and being baptized, which symbolizes the burying of the old carnal self, which was formerly hostile toward God, the Holy Spirit is then implanted within your mind and begins to change your mind. See, this is the kind of transformation, fundamental transformation that we want. We want to convert from this hostile, this hostile attitude toward God to having a mind like God. It says, Jesus Christ begins to inspire your thoughts and guide and direct your every action to live his life over again within you as you yield to him. And he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. Verse 14, I'll finish with this. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. Don't forget to email the show with some feedback, tdatthetrumpet.com. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>